Well, today's going to be a little different if you can't tell. We have decided to go a little different route today. Um, dinner lessons. One of the things that I remember growing up was sitting at the table and with my mom and dad and my sister who would yell at me because I would chew with my mouth open and it was gross and all that stuff. So now when we get together as a family, I still do it just to mess with her. And uh, siblings never grow up, right? And, um, and learn. In fact, I remember one specific dinner, mom had come home from the library with, she had rented the book of etiquette. And we had to read portions of the book of etiquette at the dinner table. And uh, so it really is a thing. And we learned. And so what I thought we would do this morning is bring some of the lessons from the Last Supper in that upper room and just garner some lessons from that this morning as we march into Easter. Though today is Palm Sunday, we're going to look at what's called Maudi Thursday. That night when Jesus had the supper in the upper room, they were sitting at a U-shaped table, much like this. They had some of the food that you'll get to experience later. They had walnuts, dates, apples, honey. We don't have any lamb here today. Um, we don't have some of the bitter herbs that they had. Uh, we have olive oil, cucumbers, and... 2,000 years ago, Jesus looked, you can record this in Luke chapter 18, Jesus turns and he, sent in the, he says in verse 8, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And so he looks at Peter and he looks at John and he says, go into Jerusalem, go find us a room to eat Passover. Now, it's unique to us, but understand that in that day, that was common. Jerusalem would swell. It's kind of like the World's Fair in Lapel that's coming up this summer. The same thing would happen to Jerusalem. It would nearly double in size for that week, for the Passover week. And so people who had a room, you'd rent it out, make a little extra money, and you would set up a room similar to this to remember the Passover when Moses would go into Egypt and redeem the people of Israel. This morning, we're going to look at four people and four cups that sat here around this table. Where I'm standing would have been open. It probably would have had pots with water, uh, juice, wine. There would have been another row of pillows there in front of you, but we don't have space for that. And they would have sat... They would have sat leaning on their left arm, eating with their right hand. And so they would have probably sat something like this with their feet out and eating. Dates are very good. You should try it. And then the next person would sit here and they would eat like this all the way around the table. Rooms lit with candles, not, not electricity. 
God. And we know where they sat. We know a lot of where they sat because, one, the Bible tells us where a few people sat. And we, knew the, we know the customs of that day. And so we can put some things together. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus sat on the corner at such and such, but as you read and you understand how the dialogue goes around the table and you understand the culture and the customs, then you know pretty much who sat where. If I can get a picture of the upper room from the outside. No, not that one. Let's go to the one with that. They would have walked up these stairs. This is a picture of the upper room on the outside. They would have walked up these stairs on the outside. They would have gone into the doors. So it was literally upstairs. And they would have walked in. Give me the next picture of the inside of the room. Now, this has been made over into a sanctuary. It certainly wouldn't, would not have had the Gothic ceilings and the columns, but it is the original floor. And they would have come up those stairs, and they would have ate right here at a table, much like this, with the food. Peter and John would have gotten the food ready. And what I want to talk to you about this morning, what we're going to learn, we're going to take a look at four people sitting at this table. They would have come up the stairs. They would have walked past the wash basin. The host, Jesus, would have sat right here. This is where the host sits, the one who paid for the meal, the one who paid for the room, the one who paid for everything. He's the host. You know, Jesus still pays for everything for us. He's just not in the flesh. And then it moves to the seat of honor all the way around to the seat of recognition on his right. And so there would have been a seat of recognition, the host, Jesus, who paid for everything, the seat of honor. And all the way over here would have been the seat of the servant, the one who has to serve everybody. Recognition, host, honor, servant. That's what we're talking about today. So let's talk about Jesus sitting here with the plate of dates and matzah and cucumbers and honey and olive oil and apples and lamb and other things he would have had sitting in front of him. Jesus, we have matzah bread, and you know, because it's Passover week, matzo bread is really hard to find. We had to go to two stores, one in Noblesville and one in Anderson, to get matzo bread because they were almost out. But this is the bread very similar to what Jesus would have broke and ate. It's unleavened bread because it doesn't have yeast in it. Because in the Bible, yeast is sin. So they were responsible for getting all the yeast out of the room. All sin had to go. And Jesus would have stood up and he would have said, he would have broke it, and he, said, he would have said, take, this is my body broken for you. With no yeast, with no sin, 
a perfect piece of bread. And you'll notice it's perforated. Now, we use machines on conveyor belts, but back then they would have flattened the bread and beat it with a whip to put holes in it. And so Jesus breaks the bread and says, this is my body, and it's broken. Because within 24 hours, he's nailed to a cross. And it's beaten with a whip, with no sin in it, with no yeast in it. Highly symbolic. Jesus probably would have had the honey. Honey, it was symbolic, the sweetness of freedom. They would have had that. Every piece of food on a Passover table is symbolic of history of Israel. Whether it's the cucumber, the apple, the honey, the olive oil, the matzah bread. Every piece of food has a meaning. And I don't have time to go through that today. And so, just think with me for a minute. Jesus, sitting here, knowing what's about to go down within 24 hours, and yet none of these guys have a clue. Have you ever known something, but it tore you up inside, but you had to save face? That's exactly what Jesus is doing. It's tearing him up inside. He's saving face right now. And he knows they don't get it. And we talked, remember we talked last week, if you were here, he told them three different times, like, guys, this is going to happen. And they're like, okay. (laughs) So he's saving face, enjoying his last meal with them. And then to his right, the host sits down first, They all come around the place of the servant, the seat of recognition. Who sat to the right of Jesus, and why does that matter? It was John, the youngest of all of the disciples, who at this point is about 20, 19, 20 years old, sits right here. Now, we know he sat here because the Bible says that he leaned up against Jesus, And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But he sat here, and if you kind of picture how they sat, then you know that I'm leaning, and John's leaning into me, and Jesus is leaning into the guy next to him, and so on and so on. And they're eating. And so it's a very intimate setting. It's a very real, intimate setting. John is 19 or 20 years old. Don't you think it's funny that Jesus sends John and Peter, the two guys that butted heads the whole time, he sends them and says, hey, go find me a room, go get the food ready, I'm paying for it all, just go do it. He sends the two guys in the group that don't get along, John the young teenager and Peter, the guy who has to critique everything, talk all the time, put his foot in his mouth all the time. John's quiet, shy, loving, affectionate type person. John's the peaceful one. Peter's the fighter. And he goes, you two go. You two 
go. You see, what we have to understand in our lives is that God is going to bring people into our life and they're going to sit around our table and they're going to partake of our food. We might even pay for their dinner. We might help them out. But everybody in our life is different from everybody else. But it's the differences that make us whole. It's the differences in church that make the church a whole body. You know, yesterday was working at the new baseball park. And, you know, I, I'm not, those of you that know me, you know me well enough, I, you know, one of the ways that I need to be more like Jesus is the whole carpentry thing, because I'm not, right? I'm not, I do manual labor, but I don't understand anything, right? And so I'm spreading stuff in the dugout and trying to make it level. And he doesn't know it, but he comes in. Brandon Hutchison walks in and goes, I like it. It looks good. It looks level. And for a guy that stinks at manual labor, I felt like a million bucks. Now, you don't know you did that, but you made me feel like a million bucks. I was like, you mean I did it right? (laughs) Like, usually when I hang stuff at home, we end up in separate rooms murmuring to each other under our breaths and then coming back together and manual labor around my house isn't good but when another dude who understands manual labor walks up and goes I like it it looks good you're like so I went home and I told my wife I'm like Brandon said I did good because I felt like a million bucks because I'm not good at manual I can do it but I'm just not good at it you see all of us have gifts and talents sitting around this table John He's the caring, he's the affectionate one, he's the quiet one. In fact, John is the one that Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, would look down because all of the rest of them had scattered. They were gone. They're like, we, we are not hanging around here. They're, they've crucified our leader. I'm not getting caught. But at the foot of the cross, it was John and Jesus' mother Mary. And Jesus looks down from the cross and he looks at John and he says, take care of my mother it was John that would be responsible for taking care of Mary and taking care of her not only after Jesus' death but after Jesus' resurrection and so think about this Jesus entrusted the care of his mom to John he had 11 other options but it was John he said take care of them Something about the quiet person, right? It's something about the person that doesn't say much, doesn't talk a whole lot, but they're affectionate and they're caring. And you know what? It's like, I can, I can trust that guy. I can trust that guy. So John sits here. Jesus here. The place of the servant. The place of the one who has to serve everybody else, the place of the one that has to wash everybody else's feet, Peter. Peter sits here. Well, this is interesting because Peter is one of his, Jesus's inner three. I mean, Jesus had over a hundred followers, 12 disciples, and then he had three. Out of that 12, he had three. He had Peter, James, and John. 
would you think the inner three should be like right next to him? He says, Peter, all of the ruckus you're raising, all of the talking all the time, all of the da-da-da-da, you need to serve. Because Jesus said what? He said, heaven, you can't get into heaven unless you have the attitude of a child, unless you are like a young person. You must have the attitude of a young person. But then he said, the greatest of you will be first be your servant. Have the attitude of John, willing to serve like Peter. Man, that's tough, isn't it? That's hard because you know what I want to do? I want to open my mouth. I want to say something. I want to fight back. I want to, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Serve, Peter. Serve. So, Peter, he's the, he's one of the oldest. Matthew is the oldest, but Peter's right up there close to him. Peter's probably about 30-something at this point. And Peter's a, he's a fisherman. He has to know. In fact, one of my, one of my favorite verses at the end of the book of John, it says, after Jesus' resurrection, he's walking on the beach He's defeated death. I mean, you've already defeated death. How good can it get? Oh, yeah, well, let's just go stroll on the beach. Okay, that too, right? And so we go to stroll on the beach with Peter. Well, Peter and John are kind of rivals, and they get jealous of one another. And even after Jesus' resurrection, as Jesus, Jesus is walking alongside with Peter, and he's telling, talking with Peter behind them. And this is like the last few verses in the entire book of John. John is following behind and he's trying to eavesdrop on the conversation between Jesus and Peter. How many of you remember this? If you've read this. Peter notices John's following him and he says, what about him? It's not, what about tell him to stop following us? Stop it. Right? Kind of like your kids do to each other. Just stop it. And Jesus, one of the last pictures we get from John is Jesus kind of firing up a little bit and turning to Peter and saying, if I choose to let him live until he sees the end of the world, what is that to you? Mind your own business. Now, of course, we know what Jesus was referring to because John would receive the book of Revelation and the end of the world type stuff. That's what Jesus was referring to. But he was telling Peter, Peter, shut up and mind your own business. What I do with John and what I do with you are two different things, but it's all for the kingdom. And it doesn't matter. There's so many different people in our lives. We want to we fight and we want to bicker back and forth. And what about them and what about that? And it's not fair. And, it's not, and we want to play this compare game that Peter and John did off and on all the time. And now they're sitting at opposite ends of the table. And Jesus says, guys, just cut it out. I've got bigger fish to fry then worry about you two bickering back and forth. I wonder if Jesus might say that to some of our churches today. I have bigger fish to fry than the color of your carpet. I have bigger fish to fry than worrying about who said what to do what to say what. Because I'm trying to institute a kingdom here. You do your job, they do their job. Everybody focus on their job and we together as one body with all of our differences will come together. And so imagine... Because it's at this scene and at this place where Jesus tells Peter, 
get the wash basin. And Jesus does something. Peter gets the wash basin and Jesus comes over here and as Peter's leaning this way, Jesus gets down. Because you see, one of the things that the host is supposed to do is pay for a servant to be here and pay them to wash everybody else's feet. In fact, the servant would never eat. The servant would stand right there. That, that would have been the door up there. They would have came up the stairs. They would have walked by the wash basin that the servant had prepared to wash people's feet. There's a servant in the room, but it's not the servant. And the servant is paying the price, not getting paid. And he sits and kneels down at Peter's feet. And Peter said, what's Peter say? Well, Peter says, no, 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 master. No, 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 no. No, I should be washing your feet. Jesus says, no. I came to serve, and I will wash your feet. And Peter says what? Well, Peter does what Peter always does. Peter says, well, well, if my feet need to be cleaned, then maybe you should just bathe my whole body and make me really clean. And I think it's at this moment where Jesus gives him like a heavenly eye roll, like, right, or a face palm. Oh, Peter. He goes, no, I just need to wash your feet. And Jesus would take the wash basin around the table to each of his disciples knowing that within 24 hours, he's getting whipped and nailed to a cross and serving. And he comes all the way around to wash each of their feet. And so the older would serve the younger, and the younger would listen and observe and pay attention to the older. But there's one guy at the table we haven't talked about yet. And he plays a big role in this night. His name is Judas. The one we all want to boo, Judas. Bad guy. Bad guy. You know where, you know where Jesus places Judas at the table? Judas sat at the seat of honor, seat of recognition, host, honor, servant. Jesus said, Judas, you park it right here, buddy. You know the whole saying we have, keep your friends close, your enemies closer? That's not what Jesus was doing. I believe because God is a God of mercy and grace He's giving Peter one last chance. Jesus is honoring the guy that's going to betray him. Judas sold out for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver, that's what he sold out for. That's what he sold Jesus for. You know what you sell a slave for? 30 pieces of silver. You know in those days what you buy a prostitute for? 30 pieces of silver. Judas sold Jesus as a slave. He's no more than a slave to me. Get this guy out of here. I don't know what he's doing. I'll do it. Judas, the one that you and I would be like, get the heck out of the room, don't talk to me, get out of here. 
Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm loving you all the way up to the end. How many of us have a Judas in our life sitting around our table that we need to love all the way to the end? The only way you're going to love Judas in your life all the way to the end is if you have the agape love of Christ in your heart. So Jesus allows Judas the seat of honor. Kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, why not Peter? Why not James? Why not John? Why Judas? Why does it have to be Judas? I mean, Jesus, when he picked his top 12, picked Judas. The Bible says he went to a mountaintop to pray. He has 100 to 120 followers now, and Jesus has to say, God, I, Father, I need the 12 that you have intentionally given me to spread the message of the kingdom. And he spends all night on the mountain praying, God, which one of these 100 are the 12 that are, I'm supposed to pour into? And he walks down. Judas right in the eye and goes I want you on my team let me tell you something everybody in your life plays a role everybody in your life has a purpose you may you may not be able to stand their guts but I promise you this they're in your life for a reason Judas played a big role big role John chapter 12, Judas was the treasurer and kept the money for Jesus' ministry. In John 12, 6, we have, he did not, it says this, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You talk about a ministry scandal. Did you hear so-and-so was embezzling money? Judas embezzled the money. Judas, pretty selfish guy, but Jesus kept him around. You don't think Jesus knew Judas was embezzling money from his ministry? He knew. He loved him anyway. He cared for him anyway. Thief, Judas, has a place table the person that hates on you in your life the person that gives you the hardest time the boss that is so demanding that you can't stand it and you just want to leave they all play a part in your life they all have a role to make you better Jesus his ministry was supported people gave to Jesus people like I know I'm going to botch this name up Chusa. Chusa, in Luke chapter 8, verse 3. You can look it up later. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Chusa, Herod. Herod had a person that managed his house and ran his house and was in charge of the money, in charge of the household, in charge of everything so Herod could go about and do his job. Chusa was that manager's wife. Chusa gave to Jesus on a regular basis and supported his ministry. Susanna supported Jesus' ministry. Others 
financially gave to Jesus so he could travel and spread the gospel. But who they give it to? Judas. Who managed it? Judas. Jesus, I know this is a big theological debate, but I stand on this side of it. I believe Jesus had money. You don't pay for room, pay for all of this. You don't, how can you continually dip into something if there's no money there if he's poor? Why do Roman soldiers gamble for his clothes if they're not worth anything? Jesus had money. Now, I'm not saying he was filthy, stinking rich, but he had enough money to do what he needed to do. And Judas was sure going to dip into it and get himself some of it. I think Jesus was putting his money where his mouth was. This man matters to me. I don't care that he's robbing me blind. This man matters. Here's what we have to understand. That the people that hurt you the most are usually the ones you trusted the most. Tell me, you're going to give your money to somebody you don't trust? Probably not. The ones that hurt us the most are usually the ones that we trusted the most. But it can make us stronger. It can make us better if we allow it. You see, it's people like Judas that cause Jesus to move into his destiny. And it's people like Judas in your life that cause you to become a better person, to step up higher. The Johns and the Peters, oh, they'll always be there. And you can trust in them. You can, you can trust your mom to John. You can trust Peter to serve and Peter to go out and to fight for you and chop off ears for you if necessary, as the Bible says, right? You can trust these people. But it's these people it's these people that push us to our destiny. It's these people that make us better because they cause us to die to a piece of ourselves and look inwardly and say, okay, what's really going on here? What's happening? People who do you wrong serve a purpose. Don't hate them. Pray for them. Pray for your enemies, Jesus said. Pray for your enemies. And so, we all have people like that sitting around and Philip and Matthew and Mark and on down the line, Philemon, all the way around to Peter. Sat, eating. Then the Bible tells us something else happened that night. And this is where I'm going to start kind of pulling it all together and pulling it to a close. In a Passover Seder, there are four cups that are drank from and they're shared. Now, they're not plastic. They had plastic back then. Probably stone, metal, some sort of pottery perhaps. But there were four cups that every Jew would drink from at the Passover. And they're done in a specific order, and there's certain verses that are read before you drink from it. And it's here at this moment that Jesus, knowing full well what's about to happen, institutes this thing we call communion or Eucharist. It's at this moment in the supper 
that Jesus starts communion. The four cups of the Passover, they were to, they were again supposed to be a reminder of everything that happened on the Israelites' escape from Egypt. For them to remember the 40 years of wandering until they got into the country that we know today as Israel. And so, the first one, the first cup, Jesus would have taken it, he would have stood up. The Jews would call this the cup of sanctification. The cup of sanctification. Jesus would have quoted Exodus chapter 6 verse 1 as he stood up and he would have said, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will sanctify you or under the new covenant in the New Testament. I will call you out. I will begin to tug and pull on your heart so that you start asking questions about who is God, who, where's God. You will start searching out and start questioning your faith. You will start pulling out. Is the, I am sanctifying you. I am pulling you away from everything else, everything that you've known, so that all of a sudden you don't want to sleep in on Sunday morning anymore. You want to get up and come to, ch- come to church. I'm pulling you out. I'm pulling you out. The cup of sanctification. He would have drank it, and he would have passed it around. And then the second cup, he would have grabbed it, the cup of plagues and the plagues of Egypt. He would have held it up. Jesus would have read in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, I will free you from being slaves. The second cup in the new covenant would represent the cup of salvation. What were the plagues? It was after the plagues that Pharaoh let them go. So Jesus would have said, I will free you from being slaves. I will free you from the slavery and the bondage of yourself. I will free you from the slavery and the bondage of sin. It would have been salvation. The third cup, Jesus would have picked up. It's the cup of redemption. I will redeem you. So he starts to draw us out. He saves us. The third cup now is that growing relationship with Jesus. Growing in it, right? But he would have stood up. Jesus would have said, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, though they didn't have it in chapter and verses back then, we do today. But he would have said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm redeeming grace. I will continue to redeem you all the days of your life as you grow closer to me, look close, draw closer to me. I will continue to redeem you. But now, the fourth cup. Different than all the rest, this is where Jesus makes an interesting, not subtle, change to the Passover Seder. He picks up the fourth cup He would have stood up, Exodus chapter 6. This is the cup of praise, of celebration. Exodus 6, 7. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. 
this talks about the fourth cup. I call it the cup of homecoming when we're home, celebrating in heaven with all of the people that have gone on before us. I don't know what we eat in heaven, but I promise you, it tastes far better than anything you've ever had on this earth. And this cup is different because here's what Jesus did. The Bible tells us the coming, the homecoming cup, the cup that represents us going to heaven, Jesus drank from all those three. He said, I will not drink from this cup again until I see you in heaven. He didn't drink out of this cup. He goes, I will drink this cup with you when I see you in heaven. And then he passed it around the table. Now close your eyes for a minute. We're one year. You're one of the disciples. Close your eyes. We're a year after this. Jesus has died, risen, walked on the earth, and went back to heaven. Now you're coming back to your Passover Seder because that's what you do. You're, a, you're, you're Jewish. You're with your family. You get to the fourth cup. Now I want you to picture the look on the faces of the disciples one year later when they pick up the fourth cup and realize it's the homecoming cup. What do you think their faces look like? Oh, they didn't get it the first time Jesus did it, but I promise you next year at Passover, <laughs> I bet it was a different look. You can open your eyes. Did you see their faces? Did you see Peter sitting there going, gosh, I got it. John saying, wow, that was deep, Jesus. Because he didn't drink it. He said, I will not drink this cup until we're all home. Can you imagine what went through their mind a year later? Four people, four cups, all happened. And in our lives, there are going to be people in our lives that come in and out, and they all serve a different purpose. In life, you're going to drink from that moment when God pulls you out, where you finally come to Jesus. You say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. I want you in my life, and I want to be baptized as a representation that I have died to my old nature, and I'm coming up in new life. I want that. And then the third cup is I'm going to grow in likeness with you. In the fourth cup, Jesus says, we will all drink it together. He hasn't, I have news for you. Jesus hasn't drank out of this cup yet. He's going to. He's as sure as it's raining right now. Jesus is going to drink out of this fourth cup and it will come at the end of the world when we are all seated with him and the millions of people that have gone on before us, we will sit together and our eyes will be open to go, oh my gosh, he didn't drink out of this, but he's doing it now. And you'll be privy to that. You'll be there to see that. I wonder, as John's sitting here, Jesus there, Judas, and Peter, because the Bible says that Peter is sitting here 
And he looks over at John and says, ask him, ask him who's going to betray him. He's like making hand signals. Ask Jesus. Because John's sitting right next to Jesus. I mean, John's like right here. And the Bible says that he leans in. He, he, he's sitting here and he leans into Jesus and says, Jesus sits here, and he's kind of leaning, sitting on the pillows, leaning. This is actually kind of comfortable, by the way, right? And he says this, the one who dips the bread. Now, some translations say sop. That's a gross word, right? That's like moist. Oh, can you believe I just said that? He says, the one who dips the bread and the sop with me is the one who will betray me. And he takes, dips the bread, and Judas at the same time. But guess what? Again, mercy and grace. You don't dip sop with the host. That's a no-no. Unless, unless the host has invited you to dip. Judas. And he calls him out. That, in that culture, is a sign of high respect. Why didn't he say, John? Why didn't he respected? He respected Judas' role, even though it was an ugly role, and even though it was a nasty role, he respected it. And the Bible says at that moment, when Judas dipped, and ate the bread and the sop. What was sop? Sop was just essentially beef broth, chicken. It was a broth. It was like a gravy. You dip the bread in it. I mean, I can, I'm down with that, right? Bread, gravy, it's all good. And they eat it. And the Bible says at that moment, Satan himself entered into Judas's body and took over to have Jesus killed. And I don't know who you're identifying with and I don't know where you're at on your walk with Christ maybe God's calling you out and you haven't accepted Jesus yet maybe you've accepted Jesus and you're on that third cup and you're still growing and growing and growing I got news for you God has a redemption plan for your life and he wants to use the people in your life to influence you and for you to influence them the Bible says sorry, the Bible does not say, we know from culture that at the Passover Seder then, when this is done they would walk out of the room they would file back out this way and back down the stairs and they would sing Psalm 113 to 118 and so Jesus walking out with his 12 disciples would sing Psalm 113 to 118 and they'd sing it from memory so if you ever wondered if Jesus sang, he did. Now, I, I just wonder, like, I, I know people talk about angels singing, but I'm sure Jesus' voice is probably much better than that. And they would walk out singing Psalm 113 through 118. Now, we don't have that today. We don't, we don't have that written down to music. We, but we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song that is reflective of that. And during this final song, go ahead and stand. During this final song, At any point in this final song, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is how we're going to close today. 
I'd like for you to come down with your family and take communion. And then I want you to come, grab a plate after you've taken communion. Grab a plate, grab the napkin. We have olive oil up here with seasoning. We have honey and apples and cucumbers and walnuts and dates and some of the exact same food that they would have eaten up at that table. So why don't you come, partake of communion as we close out with this song that's reminiscent of Psalm 113, 118 that they sang, take communion that Jesus instituted. And then with your family, with your kids, if some of you want to go get your kids, I know I've just thrown River Kids a curveball. If you want to go get your kids and bring them back in here for a moment to take communion and partake of some of the food that Jesus and his disciples would have ate, you may do that. There's a table up here, and there'll be a table in the back with the same food. I'm going to ask for Lynn and Amy um, to come over here to the side, and I'm going to ask for Aaron and Cam to come over here on this side. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're still drinking out of this cup where God is calling you and calling you and calling you, but you haven't drank out of the cup of salvation yet, and you want to accept Jesus into your life, they would love to do that with you and help you accept Jesus. If you need prayer for anything else during this last song, I want you to come forward. They'll pray with you. But let me pray real quick. We'll take communion. You can share in some of the food. Feel free to go get your kids and come back, and then you're dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what happened that night on Thursday night in the upper room. Lord, in our lives, there are so many people sitting around the table of our life with so many different roles to play. Lord, may we embrace them all. God, may we show respect to the people that have sold us out. May we respect them and love them. Lord, may we show trust to the people that, as John, you trusted John to take care of, your, take care of Mary. May we be thankful for those people. And Lord, may we be thankful for the people in our lives that seem to fight us at every turn but are still willing to serve, Lord, for everybody has a role at the table. And Lord, as we continue to walk through the cups, Lord, may we all look forward to the day when we will drink the fourth cup with you in heaven. In Jesus' name.